0: Welcome to the Elenia Church Podcast, your place to catch all of Elenia Church's previous messages, messages designed to equip you on your journey with Christ. We are almost through our journey through the genealogy of Christ as we anticipate the birth of our Savior. Today we explore the person of King David. What made him a man after God's own heart? We might make the mistake and believe that David was perfect and had it all together. Well, if you know the story of David, you know that couldn't be any further from the truth. There is a clue, however, when we take David and compare him with his predecessor, King Saul. What made those two individuals so markedly different? We pray that you enjoy the message and make sure you stay tuned till the end for a special announcement. Listen in. It's gonna be a good day today. I'm excited about the message. Um, Just before we get started, a couple of things. If you would like to go help out in Bowling Green, Kentucky, uh, we're sending a crew up there tomorrow, um, Laura, um, who is, you can stand, she, she loves that, wave to everybody, uh, uh, she'll be down front after service, come talk to her, um, and my wife, uh, Jennifer, do you want to stand too? No, she, <laughs> uh, uh, Laura and Jennifer are headed up to, to do some muscle work tomorrow in Bowling Green, so they'll be up and back in a day, so if you looked at that trip, wanted to do it, but just couldn't commit to uh, that many days, uh, make sure that you uh, come talk to them after service, because they will be going up tomorrow, um, and the boys and I will party at the house, mom's away. Uh, also on December 23rd, our Christmas service, our Christmas Eve Eve service, we um, we get the special opportunity to be able to bless um, the possibility place, and uh, so that's going to be exciting. We get to give them a special, a special gift, uh, part of our church's year in giving, uh, so you want to be here for that, and we're excited about what, what they are doing. Well, um, let me talk to you a little bit about identity and believing things that we should believe about ourselves and uh, things that we shouldn't believe about ourselves, um, I, I don't know if you've had the, the awesome opportunity and privilege to teach your kids how to ride a bike. Um, but it can be a little frustrating at times, and it can also be really enjoying. Um, but when I was teaching my kids how to ride a bike, um, you know, they, they do the training wheels. And I don't know if you know anything about training wheels. They're pointless. Um, I don't know why they put those stupid things on a bike. Uh, they're a nuisance. They slow everything down. Uh, just take them off. Let, just let them skin their knees. They're going to be fine. Um, I'm, I remember as a kid. I don't know if you you did this, but I remember going downhill, down downhill, East Tennessee, y'all. This this not like Texas or Kansas flat. I'm talking like downhill um, on a bike um, with cars coming up the hill at us. And I didn't have a helmet on. I wasn't bubble wrapped or anything. Um, and now we've now we've got our kids uh, bubble wrapped. Um, but when I was teaching White and Weston, there came a point uh, in teaching them how to ride a bike where I kind of had to get them by the shoulders and kind of um, in a forceful but loving way speak some truth into them. And um, it's, it, it, it got a little tense, but I was like, you can do this. It is in you. You can do this. You will ride a bike today come hell or high water, this is happening, you know, and then you start threatening them, like, you know, we're going to grant you, you don't run a bike today, we're going to You know, it's, uh, that, that, that's kind of what I love doing, though, as a pastor is one of the things that floats my boat is being able to speak truth in the people and for them to get it. I get so much joy when people realize what is inside of them the gifts that they have, the calling that they have, like, oh, my goodness, I can actually do this. Like when you start seeing people lead other people to Christ, that's like, oh, my gosh. When you start seeing people shepherd other people, that is that is such a, a joy filler for me and it's something I, I love doing. But it's it's harder actually now than ever to be able to do that. It's harder now more than ever to be able to speak truth into people's life and say, no, you got this, no, you can do this. And why is that? And I think it's because the the world is constantly trying to fill our heads with fear. Like you can't do this, you're not gonna be able to do this. I'm talking like major fear. Like if you risk it, uh, if you stick your neck out there, you're risking like actual harm to yourself or your family or you're risking ruin to you and your family. You are going to be a failure, and it will be everlasting failure. It will be your identity. You will have a banner over you that says, I failed, I stink, I can't do this. That's pretty much what the world wants you to think, is that you can't risk anything because you are going to be identified as a failure. And let me tell you this, that failure is an event, it's not an identity. It's an event. It's not an identity. I mean, think about it as kids. Do you remember when you were six months old? Anybody? Six months old a little early. Let's try 12 months old. Do you remember 12 months old? No, you don't remember 12 months old. Do you remember walking at 12 months old? No, you don't? You don't remember how many times you failed walking? You don't remember that time when you... You got up and you had the coffee table and you had that little wobbly part and you took a step and you just went wham and busted your head open on the coffee table. All coffee tables have got that real pointy corner. They're all it's like it's like a razor blade. That's why everybody's got a little little cut right here, including my kids. No, you don't remember that. You don't remember how many times you failed. You never grew up with this identity over your head that I'm a failure because I could not walk. You figured it out. You've everything in life, you figured out how to eat. You figured out, hopefully you figured out how to not burn toast. You figured out how to scramble an egg. You, you failed at a lot of things, but over and over and over, you figured it out, and you overcame. You achieved something. It wasn't an identity for you. Because we all grow up with this idea that we are going to fail, and it's part of life. We all grow up with this idea that we're going to make mistakes, but we're going to learn from them. That's why when a kid is like in the first grade, and he's learning 5 plus 5, and he writes down 12, that's not permanent. They figure that out, hopefully. <laughs> but you, you were born to learn. You're born to grow. You're born to make mistakes and to, and to further your knowledge and to further your skills. You have either a fixed mindset or you have a growth mindset. A fixed mindset is this is all I'm ever going to be and nothing else. A growth mindset is, this is where I am now, and I'm going to figure it out. This is where I am now, but tomorrow I'm going to be different. And I, I don't know if you've, you've ever had an experience of like an imposter syndrome. You ever heard of the imposter syndrome? I'm going to give you a quote of one of the academic studies from Langford and Clance. that says this about imposter syndrome. It's a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their skills talents or accomplishments, and has persisted internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. Do you know the first imposter syndrome study that was done was about high achieving women? And they thought in the 70s that the imposter syndrome was only in women. However, I have a book that I take people through in premarital counseling, and one of the chapters to the women says, why you're Mr. Right feels like an imposter and a fraud. And what they're realizing now is that it's both in men and women, that everybody walks in, uh, not everybody, but a large majority of us walk into our our circles of influence and we are afraid that we're going to get found out. We're afraid that we can't do what we've been asked to do. We're afraid that we can't be a good parent. We can't be a good mother. It can't be a good father. We're afraid that we, we can't be a good manager or a good co-worker. Someone's going to figure me out. Someone's going to see who the real me is, and that I've been faking it the whole time. Just imposter syndrome. Or um, we have these family expectations on us that lead into that. Or we had overprotective parents. Or we ha- have or maybe your racial identity, or you have anxiety or depression, or you have low traits, self-esteem, or you're a perfectionist. All of these things can lead to an imposter syndrome, studies say. Or maybe you spend too much on social media. And you play the comparison game. And they say that in social media, we tend, especially teenagers, we tend to misjudge the extent of how much people are judging us, we think that everything that we put on social media we're getting judged for, and so and the thing is, this is the, the, the this is the thing about anxiety and depression when it comes to social media. It is not studies are finding it's not cyberbullying. It's I didn't get a like, I didn't get a heart, I didn't get a thumbs up. No one reposted me. No one. No one commented and said, oh, that looks great. No, and so there's, this, there's this, always this drive to perform, to, to be better, to, to, to measure up. And here's the deal, and this is what you need to understand for all of us, especially parents. The world is out to define who you are. The world is out to define who you are. The world is out to define who your kids are, especially from the ages 11 to 24, they are going through an identity crisis. And if you do not point them to who truly identifies them, and that being God, their creator, the world is going to make their identity for them. And we have an obligation to understand who defines who we are. Now, what does that have anything to do with the series that we're in? We're in a series called Believe, and what we've been doing is we've been going through, we've been going through the genealogy of Christ. We've been looking at everybody up to this point—not everybody in the genealogy, but some key ones like Abraham and Sarah. We looked at, we looked at Rahab. We looked at Ruth and Boaz. We we looked at these stories in the genealogy of Christ leading up to to Christmas Eve, leading up to the birth of Christ and what they can tell us about God. And there's this one guy in there, David, who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. And I've had this theory for a long time of what made David a man after God's own heart. Because David was not the first king of Israel. David was actually the second king of Israel. The first king of Israel was this guy named Saul. Saul, a strapping young guy, tall. He said he was head and shoulders above everybody else. I mean, was, he, was, he was good looking. He, he was strong. He was a valiant warrior. And somehow Saul flubbed everything up in such a way that God said, I regret making you king. How how would you feel about that being said about you? Yeah, I'm. I I cannot imagine that. I regret. I regret asking to be a pastor. Can you imagine that? And he he instead went to this guy David, who is a shepherd, and said he's going to be king instead. Now everything we just led up to the whole introduction about identity and figuring out who you are and comparison game. This is my theory. I believe that the difference between Saul and David was that David believed David was naive enough to believe everything God said about him. And Saul spent his entire time trying to measure up to some ideal that he didn't have to measure up to. But Saul was always trying to prove himself. And I want to give you, I want to give you four things from the life of Saul and David. And we're going to compare and contrast. Don't you love that phrase when you're in an English class? I hated English. You're an English teacher out here. I'm so sorry. I hated English because they would always say, I want you to compare and contrast. And I'm like, well, what's the difference? Can we compare and contrast what compare and contrast is? Because I don't know what compare is, and I don't know what contrast is. They sound the same. Please don't ask me to pick the best possible answer. Who's to say that you know who the best possible answer is? Two plus two is four, right? Can't argue with me. Please pick the best possible answer, four. <laughs> That's my soapbox. So David was a man after God's own heart. Let me read that verse to you. It says from Acts 13, After removing him, Saul, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart. Listen to this. This is the key. Who will carry out my will? At the end of the day, David was a man after God's own heart because David said, I'll do what you say, God. I'll do what you say. I will obey. So here's the difference. First thing between these two, you got to help me preach this. All right? You help me preach this, Kendall? Oh, Lord. Number one, one doubted himself, one had confidence in God. One doubted himself, one had confidence in God. Look at Saul, 1 Samuel, it says, and who does all Israel desire but you and all your father's family? So Samuel's talking to Saul. And Saul responded, am I not a Benjamite from the smallest of the Israel's tribes? And isn't my clan the least important of all the clans of the Benjamite tribe? So why have you said something like this to me? Right off the bat, Saul's like, I can't do this. I'm a Benjaminite blah, blah, blah. I messed that up. Benjamite. Is that good? It sounds like Vegemite. Anybody had Vegemite before? No, don't. Um, He's saying, I am the smallest of all the tribes, and my clan is the smallest of the smallest of all the tribes. Immediately, Saul says, I can't do this. I'm not designed to do this. I'm not built to do this. I don't have the reputation to do this. It would be like God saying, hey, I want you to do something, and you're going, yeah, but don't you know my ancestry? Don't you know my lineage? Don't you know the? Don't you know who my father was? Don't you know what my grandpa did? Don't you know that we have no? Don't you know that all of my family is a college dropout? Don't you know that my all of my family has been in trouble with the law? Don't you know that I that we have a we have a great success story of always being a failure. And God's saying, I didn't ask any of that. I'm just telling you. I want you to be king. And Saul's like, I can't do it. So immediately Saul doubts himself. But David, look what David did. So David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine? So David has now gone to the camp. You've got David and Goliath, right? You all know the story of David and Goliath. Make sure you go to 1 Samuel 17 and read the story about David and Goliath if you don't know that story. But Goliath is coming out every day and he's threatening the armies of the Lord. David is a shepherd. He shows up and he says, What's going to be done for the man that kills this Philistine and removes that disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Here's the difference between Saul and David. David showed up and he didn't go, Yeah, but don't you know, David said, It doesn't matter about me. It matters who my God is. It doesn't matter what my qualifications are. It matters who my God is. It doesn't matter that I'm just a lowly shepherd and I just tend sheep and I just play the harp a little bit and and we've got this Philistine, this giant over here, Goliath. It doesn't matter all that. What matters is I belong to God and he's the one who's working through me. You see the difference there? Because what happens is we say, I can't do it. Of course you can't do it. Get that through your skull. None of us can do it. It's not about us. It's about who God is in and through us. God works in and through us. God is the one who's in power through us. When we are weak, he is strong, right? Do we believe that? And to achieve all that God has for you, don't believe you have what it takes. And that's what the world wants, to, wants you to know. You got what it takes. You can do this. That's that's all fine and dandy, but rather this is our approach as believers. Believe that God has what it takes, and he is at work in and through you. He is at work in and through you. Number two, this is one of my favorite stories. One hid from his calling, and one faced his calling. Look at what Saul did. He has already been anointed as king. They're about to install him as king, and this whole scene breaks out. He brought the tribe of Benjamin, Samuel did. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans. And the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. So he's casting lots. He's casting lots to figure out, okay, who's the king? But when they sought him, Saul, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord... Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. So everybody has shown up to install Saul as king. Where is Saul? He's hiding in the luggage. Everybody's shown up. They've just like... they're. The bellman's busy or something, he took a potty break, all the luggage is piling up, they're just throwing it in a pile, and Saul has ran over there, he is hiding in the baggage. He is hiding in other, he's not even hiding in his baggage, he is hiding in other people's baggage. And a lot of times when God calls us to something that's bigger than ourselves and it scares us, We can hide in our own baggage that we know we've got all these hurts and we've got all these things that trip us up and we've got all of these insecurities and we've got all these inabilities. But then we can go a step further and we can say, you know what? They hurt me and they did this and they did that. And we can start hiding under everybody else's baggage. And God's like, I just want you to be king. Stop hiding in other people's junk. That's not even your business. Let God do what he wants to do in you. But look what David said. David said to the Philistine, again, this is David and Goliath, you come against me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today the Lord will hand you over to me, and this whole assembly will know that it is not by the sword or by the spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord. He will hand you over to us. Listen to this. Eternity holds the answer to how many people have missed out on what God wanted to do in and through them because they ran from their responsibilities. I, 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 had, that, I had that moment in my life. I could have ran. Trust me, this is not something I'm like, hey, we started church. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be easy. It's going to be a piece of cake. People were Easy. No, it was scary, and I had to run to the scariness, and I had to run to the things that made me uncomfortable. And there's so many things that i face in doing this job that it's like, I don't know if I can do that, and I don't know if I can do this, and I'm not sure what I believe about that, and how am I supposed to get people to, to move here or to move there? And it's scary. But you have a moment when God wants you to do something. You've got to jump on it. When you realize your calling has nothing to do with your abilities, but rather on God's character, that fear starts to melt away. Another thing about this season, though, that you've got to keep in mind is that for David, he, he was anointed king, but he wasn't king yet. He was a shepherd boy. Sometimes he'd come in and play some music for Saul but he wasn't on the scene yet. He was in a season of preparation. And the thing is, is God may be calling you to something, and it may not be time for you to pick it up yet. It may be time for you to prepare. It may be time for you to study. It may be time for you to learn. It may be time for you to be faithful in what's in front of you. And this is what I truly, truly believe, that God can use a person who is faithful to what is in front of them. That we we have this society that's always striving, that we're trying to climb the ladder, and we're trying to do the big thing, and and as Clark says about Eddie, he's holding out for a management job. (laughs) Four of you all got that. (laughs) But preparation is as important as arriving at the destination of your calling. It is so important. So important. Number three, one tried to earn approval, one operated from approval. Saul, Samuel said to Saul, You have been foolish. You have not kept the command the Lord God gave you. It was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel, but now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not done what the Lord commanded. Saul was given very specific instructions about what to do at this war. And he said, I want you to wipe everything out. Saul went in. He wins the victory, but he keeps all the best stuff for himself. And Samuel walks up on the scene. and He's like, what are you doing? He's like, "Well, I kept the best stuff because, you know, I knew I knew that. God would want me to to sacrifice. Look what David says. But Saul replied, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young, David answered. Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it. I struck it down. I rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, The Lord, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. And Saul had his own military clothes, listen to this, put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head. He had him put on armor. David strapped the sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk. But it was not, But he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off instead. He took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his pouch in his shepherd's bag. Then, with his sling on his hand, in his hand, he approached the Philistine. He approached the Philistine. This this whole scene with Saul is this idea, and you're going to hear it in the next verse. I'm going to read uh, with this next point. Is this idea of Saul's like, well, I, I just wanted to worship you, I just wanted to worship God, and and Samuel says to Saul hey god God wants obedience over sacrifice God wants obedience over worship but what Saul was trying to do is he was trying to earn favor Saul was constantly trying to earn his right he was trying to measure up he was trying to achieve something because he didn't think he had what it took so i'm going to I'm going to do this I'm going to keep the best and we're going to we're going to worship and in And Samuel comes and chastises him. But David, counterpoint to that, he's like, I'm not trying to strive. I'm not trying to achieve. I'm not trying to measure up. In fact, get this stuff off of me. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't fit me. I'm not used to it. It's going to hinder me. And when you start putting things and expectations on yourself that don't belong to you, that aren't part of your calling, that aren't part of your story, it will hinder you, it will weigh you down, it will trip you up, and it will keep you from achieving what God has for you. Get off everybody else's expectations. Look at what God is expecting you to do. And David said, this isn't for me, get it off of me because it's hindering me and I'm going to go back to what God has called me to do and that's to be a shepherd. And as a shepherd, I know how to sling a stone. As a shepherd, I know what to look for. As a shepherd, I know where the weak spots are. As a shepherd, I can tear up a bear, I can tear up a lion. This Philistine ain't nothing to me because he was operating in his calling." This whole point, counterpoint of Saul, David, it really boils down to this one thing. God just wanted somebody that would do what he asked him to do. And listen, this is is not a a chastisement. I don't know your all's stories and I'm not like perusing your all's Facebook and taking notes and like, all right, they're measuring up and they're not measuring up. But let me just give you a warning as your pastor. And this is not just a warning for you. It's a warning for me. God loves worship. He loves it when we're in here going hard after him. He loves it when our hands are raised. He loves it when our hearts are poured out. He loves it when we're on our knees going, God, I don't deserve you. I don't deserve this life. I don't deserve the the sacrifice you made. He loves that. You know what he loves better? If you just do what he asks you to do. Listen, we cannot go through our life living counter to the word of God. We cannot go through our life Monday through Saturday living like hell and then come in here and say, God, we love you, and think it wipes it all out. Because God wants obedience over sacrifice. He wants someone who his heart is so tied to him that we go, God, it doesn't make sense. The world doesn't agree with this. The world doesn't approve of this. But I know that I'm a peculiar people, that I'm a, I'm a people set apart to God, that I belong to you, that the Bible says to be holy for you are holy. And I know this. this, this runs counter and I'm probably gonna lose some friends over this. But this is what you have called me to do. This is what obedience looks like. This is what sacrifice looks like, true sacrifice. Not just worshiping God, but saying, you know what, God? I'm going to to love my neighbor. You know what, God? I'm going to live in purity. You know what, God? I'm I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to love my enemy. That's hard. The Bible says in the KJV, King Jimmy, it says that you are a peculiar people. That you are a peculiar people. Other versions say that you are a people for his possession. And it is this idea that you are set apart. We're not supposed to look like the world. I'm afraid for the church that we look so much like the world now that we can't tell the difference between what is godly and what is not. And man, we've got some great worship and we've got some great, we we some music and man, people, there are so many good writers out there for worship. You got Hillsong, you got Maverick City, you've got all of these great things, you got passion, and, all, and I love all that, and that's great. But those muse, that music, those words, the, the those lyrics, they are so much sweeter when they are backed up by holy living. And one more thing. I'll get off of this, I promise. There is a, there is a movement, and I'm, I need to warn you about this. There is a movement in Christianity called Red Letter Christians. And what that means is that it, it is a, a belief system that we are only comfortable with the red letters in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We are only comfortable with the words that Jesus spoke. Because the words that James speaks make us too uncomfortable. And the words that Paul speaks make us too uncomfortable. And the words that Peter speak make us too uncomfortable. That is not biblical. They are all part of the canon of scripture. They are all inerrant. They're all holy, breathed, inspired scripture that we're supposed to live by. Those are people that lived. They lived with Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They knew his heart. They knew that Jesus grabbed that woman who was caught in adultery and drawn. in. And it's not like he's like, oh, you're good. You're good. He said, no, I love you. I forgive you. But go and sin no more. There's a balance there, y'all. It is grace and it is truth. It is a tension that we have got to live in. It's a tension that you've got to be comfortable with. All right, I'll leave you alone. All right. Number four, one bucked correction, one allowed correction to make them better. So Samuel comes to Saul. He says, although you considered yourself unimportant Haven't you become the leader of the tribes of Israel? So even there, Samuel knows that Saul is like, I know your insecurities, Saul. I know what you struggled with. I know you didn't think that you should be in this role. But haven't you become the leaders of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and then sent you on a mission and said, Go and completely destroy the sinful Amalekites fight against them until you have annihilated them. So why didn't you obey the Lord? Why didn't you rush on the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord. I, I did. I did, what, I did what he said. I did. Halfway. I did, though. Saul answered, I went on the mission the Lord gave me. I brought back King Agog of Amal- uh, Amalek, which is not what God asked him to do, and I completely destroyed the Amalekites. The troops took sheep, goats, and cattle from the plunder, which is not what God asked him to do. The best of what was set apart for destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Then Samuel said... Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and defiance is like wickedness and idolatry. Daggum. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. I just, I just, I wanted to, I wanted to bring God's best. I wanted, to, I wanted to worship. I wanted to sacrifice. And God was like, I just wanted you to obey. I just wanted you to do what I asked you to do. Look at, look what David did. David gets corrected too. So don't, don't look at these two and go, David was perfect. Saul wasn't. Saul, bad guy. David, good guy. And that's the equation. No, that's not the equation. David, David... Slept with Bathsheba. He had an affair. In fact, he took Bathsheba's husband, sent him on the front lines, and had him killed. All right? So he's, he's committed adultery. He's murdered. He's lied. I mean, how many of the Ten Commandments can this one guy break? And still he's a man after God's own heart. Look at the difference in how they responded to correction. David responded to Nathan Because Nathan came and said, you've done something wrong. And this is what he said, I have sinned against the Lord. He didn't go, no, I didn't. That was Saul's posture. But I obeyed God. David said, no, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, and the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. Now listen to this beautiful psalm. I think it's a psalm that we should memorize. Psalm 51. And I'm going to hit some of the high points of it. But listen to this. This is when Nathan approached David and confronted them. And this is what David said. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion. And my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone I have sinned and done evil in this sight. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self. And you teach me wisdom deep within. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me. Sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebelli- I will teach the rebellious your ways, and sinners will return to you. And listen to this, and listen to how different this is in Saul's posture. Lord, open my lips and my mouth, And I will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering, or I would give it. He says the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and a humbled heart. Listen, we are all broken. We are all broken. That's what the gospel is about. We are all broken. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. We are all imperfect. We all need correction, including myself. I have a five-year journal where every day, it's like a little paragraph like that, and you write down what you did that day, and I'm in year three, so I'm actually able to look back two years. And see what I was doing in this season a year ago, and then what I was doing in this season two years ago. And one of the things that we try to do as a family is we try to make traditions. And one of the traditions we had living in Northern Virginia is we would go stay one night in DC. We'd go see the uh, National Symphony Orchestra, and they would always do a Christmas Pops thing. And uh, and it was all the Christmas songs. And and by the way, if you come Christmas Eve Eve, we're gonna have Christmas songs. We're gonna have a candlelight service. We're gonna actually gonna have, have real candles. I pray that you don't set your hair on fire, which my first candlelight service fifteen years ago, a kid poof set his hair on fire. so let's not do that, but anyway, we went to the pops and and I wrote down I wrote down in there, I was so mean to Weston today, and I, I remember it. we were coming out of a hotel, and I think he tripped or something, and I was so. Just condescending, hateful. It's just, it still bothers me. I hate it. In fact, I I, I read it this past week, and I, I grabbed him and I said, you know, two, two years ago, I was really hateful to you, and I'm still sorry for that. And he's like, I don't remember. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit in that moment tried to get through to me but I was in such a tizzy I think it was raining and I was I was kind of like Clark Griswold you know in that scene in his living room I just I wanted to be mad if I had a chainsaw I'd have been cutting everything down I was just I was, I was just I was in a mood and I remember my wife it took the Holy Spirit and my wife, to get some correction into me. Listen, correction is not fun. But if I was to ask you to raise your hand, and I'm not going to make you do this, and say how many of y'all think you got it all figured out, no one's going to raise your hand because none of us have it figured out, and we need correction. And what God wants to do in and through us is going to take correction from, the, listen to correction from the people you love and the people that love you. You don't have to get correction from everybody. Somebody wants to spout off on me on social media, that's fine. They don't know me. You know me. My wife knows me. My kids know me. But to think that we have it all figured out and and we're glorified and we're perfect, we're not. This is a journey. And this is not a sprint versus a marathon. This is eternity. It's longer than a marathon. And for the rest of your life, you're going to have to have a heart of correction that you're ready, you're willing to receive, that you're willing to go, no, I need to be, I need to be developed. I I need to be better. I I need to, I need to know where my blind spots are. But here's the deal. Then we'll close with this. The tension is you covered in grace. Jesus died for you. He covered your sins by his blood. And when you turn from your ways and your worldview and you turn to Jesus and you repent and you say, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to obey you, you're my Lord and Savior, and he washes you and makes you new and makes you clean, a new creation, the Bible says, there's a paradox there that you are covered and you are justified but you're not done yet. You're still cooking. God's still doing some things in you. There's an old song that used to sing in preschool. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and gracious he must be. He's still working on me. He's still working on you. He wants to do stuff in and through you, and it's going to take us all going, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about if I got it figured out. It's not about my identity. It's not about any of those things. It's about who God is. It's about his view of me. It's about his power in and through me. It's not about my weaknesses. It's not about what my parents did. It's not about what my mom and daddy did. It's not about my grandparents. It's not about how many times I failed. It's not if I got, just got out of prison. Who cares? It's what God did in you. It's what God did in you. And it's going to take us to achieve what God wants us to do in 2022 as a church. To not—I I used to have this phrase. It's easier to—it's easier to rein in a, st- a stallion than to beat a donkey. I always thought that was the best phrase. It's easier to rein in a stallion and beat a donkey. And what I realized about that phrase is both of those people have pride issues because they're still thinking about themselves way too much. It's not about you. It's about what God wants to do in and through you. And when you can live with that freedom. And you can move the way God wants you to move. And he fills you with his power. And you're, and you're secure enough that someone can walk up to you and go, Hey, that wasn't loving. The most religious people I see on Twitter right now, I kind of want to come up to them and just touch them on the elbow and go, That wasn't loving. And I don't know if they'd take it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to give you an opportunity. We always do this every Sunday. If you never had that moment where you were pointed towards your own way and you turned and you said, God, I begin following you. I'm not perfect, but you are. And I'm gonna I'm gonna pursue you. I'm gonna I'm gonna have a change of heart, what the Bible calls repentance. I'm gonna turn towards you and begin following you. If you've never had a moment where you've done that in your life, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. We'll give you an opportunity to, to make that decision today, and you can do it just by repeating this prayer after me. It's not anything specific in the prayer. It's more the condition of your heart that you're choosing to follow God. You repeat this out loud, everybody, for the sake of those who are praying it for the first time. Say, Dear Jesus, I love you. Come and make me new. I believe you died for me and you rose again. I believe you sacrificed yourself for me. Come and make me new in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for listening in today. We pray that you heard something that encouraged you, challenged you, and gave you something practical to take into your week. We are nearing the end of 2021, and that means a couple of things. First, if you want to take part in our year-end giving at Alenia Church, you can do so at aleniachurchorg forward slash give. Your year-end contributions are crucial to helping us launch into 2022 strong. And boy, do we have big plans on the horizon. Also, if you're in the Murfreesboro area, would you join us for our Christmas service? We'll be having a candlelit service Thursday, December 23rd at 6 p.m. at Oakland Middle School. It'll be a night to remember with your favorite Christmas carols, crafts for the kids, and special Christmas refreshments. We hope to see you there. Last but not least, take a few moments to like, subscribe, rate, and leave comments wherever you get your regular diet of podcasts. It helps us out a lot, and it really means a lot to us that you choose to give us a few minutes of your week. Remember, God loves you, He sees you, and He wants the best for you. God bless.